Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang. Welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson. And as always, I'm so glad you've decided to join us this Saturday morning uh, to talk all things gardening. As a matter of fact, think about what today is. It's the last Saturday of the month. I can't believe it. July is come and it has gone. It has been an extremely hot hot month. We started out the first half of the month with very little rain, a lot of high temperatures. Of course, the high temperatures haven't left us really, but we have gotten some rain uh, since about the middle of the month, which is a wonderful thing because now I'm seeing all kinds of things push out new growth. Uh, Definitely the weeds, the lawn. If uh, things were slowing down during that dry spell we had, which was classified by USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture, was classified as abnormally dry in our area. As a matter of fact, most of the entire state was abnormally dry. We talked about that. Now we're seeing some moisture. And if you thought things were slowing down before then, you should see now with the heat and the extra moisture we have, things are going crazy, which of course means that you probably have some problems in your landscape. Because when we have high temperatures and good amounts of rainfall. Not only plants love it, but so do bugs. So do the diseases. And so with increased plant growth comes increased pest growth. Weeds are going crazy in my vegetable garden. I have not gotten them under control. Feel bad, you know, because in the spring we have so much excitement. We have that true spring fever. And, you know, I remember even talking to you on this program about what I was doing, what we were doing in the vegetable garden and all the cool things we were starting. But uh, life happens, right? If you work for a living, then, of course, uh, you get home is not the first thing I want to do anymore. <laughs> of course, all day long, I spend it at the nursery in the heat sweating all day as a matter of fact it's been so hot like i said before i'm sweating from three weeks ago still sweating from three weeks ago but uh you know you get home and it's it's just been so hot it's like golly what am i going to do so yes i've let some things go in the vegetable garden and those weeds just took over we uh did a little traveling and just the few days we were gone boom it's just crazy so with that in mind you may have problems and issues in your landscape And here at New Southern Garden, we want to help you with those problems, help you, help address those issues. Even though, uh, you know, every week I try to give you information and and discussion on on things to stimulate your inspiration, things to to get your ideas going, get those creative juices flowing and all those things. We do want to help you as specifically as we can as well. So, of course, the last Saturday of every month, 
And of course, today is the last Saturday of July. Uh, we like to open the mailbox, if you will. Open the mailbag. Go to the inbox. Go to the message board. Wherever you have sent us questions, whether it's online at NewSouthernGarden.com or maybe you have sent us questions on Facebook and Instagram. Those are also great questions to send us. Uh, great places to find us is Facebook and Instagram. We want to help you um, more specifically with your individual unique landscapes and today's set of questions wonderful we do see people gardening in all different realms it looks like we're talking about uh, screen material finding some plants to uh, help screen from some neighbors we're going to talk about oh cottage gardens we have a follow-up question of course last week we talked about cottage gardens and how to create that style uh, but Rachel does want us to talk a little bit more and clarify some things uh we're going to go and talk about lawns. You know, some people, that is a form of gardening, lawns. And if you've got a lawn, you, you want to keep it healthy, want to keep it green. Of course, this time of year, uh, if you don't have a lot of rain, it can be str a struggle keeping things green. Um, but we've got a question about lawn. And let's see, what, da, 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 what is this? Oh, tropical plants. So something about tropical plants. We're going to read that question later today. But regardless, it sounds like we've got a great group of folks who are listening to the program and who have these specific questions. And I love to see these specific questions that you send because you know you're not the only one, first of all. You know there is somebody else uh, listening uh, to the program, part of our new, uh, new Southern Garden family, community, if you will. And they probably have some of the same problems you do. So like your high school teacher used to say, or at least mine did, there's no such thing as a dumb question. No such thing as a dumb question. Send it in because most likely somebody sitting in a desk beside you or nearby has the same question. I think that is the same thing here. Somebody in a nearby garden has a similar problem. They may just be scared to ask it. So don't you be scared, but you can find us on uh, online at NewSouthernGarden.com. Just check out the contact us page and then send us a message or tag us in a photo or video on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to follow and like us anyway so you can keep in touch with us. So like I alluded to last week, um, we've got a question about last week from a listener. We did talk about creating a cottage garden and, and different essential characteristics you need to think about. So if you've missed that program or any program, you can, of course, find it online at NewSouthernGarden.com and on pretty much any, uh, you can listen to this program on, on any podcasting app uh, after it airs here live on WRWH 93.9 FM. This is your hometown radio. Uh, after after we meet us here on Saturdays, you can listen to it throughout the week uh, on any of your favorite podcasting apps. So be sure to check us out there as well. Oh, from time to time, I do like to mention the TuneIn app. The TuneIn app is a free app. I have it on my uh, cell phone and iPad. You can download it to your uh, tablet or to your smart device, smartphone. The TuneIn app is great because if you are traveling this summer, and you want to make sure you stay in touch with what's happening in your hometown, with what's happening here in Northeast Georgia, be sure to take the TuneIn app with you because as long as you have access to the internet, you can listen to all the great shows here on WRWH. You can listen to them live on your phone uh, on the TuneIn app. You just search for WRWH and then you press a little heart. There's a heart beside that station uh, and you will make it your favorite because, well, we know WRWH already is your favorite. So be sure if you're traveling, uh, 
But you want to make sure you're getting all the great programming you're used to and, and just keeping in touch, even though you're enjoying some exotic, far-off locale. You want to know what's going on here at home. Be sure to find that TuneIn app, download it for free, and you can listen to the program and all the great programs here on WRWH right there on the TuneIn app. And uh, while you're there, you might as well search for New Southern Garden because the TuneIn app plays your the podcast as well. It also plays the recorded shows uh, that we upload. So with that in mind, you can listen to all of the New Southern Garden shows one after the other and then check in with the live radio uh radio app on the TuneIn side of things. Okay, with all that being said, we should probably go ahead and jump into your questions because that's what we love to dedicate this last Saturday of the month for. So if you missed your question this week, uh, this month, haven't gotten it in, be sure to do so in the next coming weeks. Uh, Cleveland, Georgia. Here we are in Cleveland, Georgia. Sharon P. Sharon P. says that uh, they built a fence to screen neighbors However, the fence is not tall enough because <laughs> apparently, I'll summarize, apparently the neighbor's house sits at a higher elevation than they do. And so the fence, maybe, you know, six to eight feet tall, <laughs> whatever, however tall, uh, is not tall enough to screen off the neighbors completely. So what Sharon wants to do here is she wants a small tree canopy to rise above the fence. So with that in mind, she's basically asking what trees are good to create a canopy above. She wants to do some planting below these trees in front of the fence, but she does want a higher fence, essentially, a higher screen, and she wants to do that with trees that create a canopy. Uh, She does mention here, Sharon says, how about an ornamental cherry? Well, uh, Sharon, an ornamental cherry would do the job. So in other words, you've got your fence and you plant your ornamental cherry trees in front of the fence and those cherry trees are going to create a canopy. Now, most ornamental cherries, depending on the variety, can get maybe larger than a small tree. So a lot of cherries are pushing the 30, 40 in its lifetime. It may max out at 60 feet, depending on the type of ornamental cherry. But I'd like to steer people away from ornamental cherries because, yes, they have one of the best spring flowers you're going to find, whether it's the um, Kwanzan cherry with its double pink blossoms or the Yoshino cherry with those white blossoms. You get the blossoms for a couple of weeks, and then you have foliage, right? And what happens to most cherries in a hot, dry summer like we've been having is that cherry tree will probably drop its leaves by now. If not, definitely going into August, maybe sooner if we have a little rainfall. So the ornamental cherries usually drop their leaves. They go dormant very early uh, in the season, in the year, where most plants are going to drop their leaves in the true fall or autumn. Cherry trees, if they get stressed out, they will go into what we call a, what I like to call a stress-induced dormancy. The heat, uh, in conjunction with the dry drought conditions, can put them under stress to drop their leaves early. So then you're left with a tree, because most people send me pictures, I think we've talked about it on this program, but most people send me pictures of their cherry tree saying it's dead and it's, you know, July or August. I say it's probably not dead, it's just dormant. It went dormant early to save itself. So with that being uh, the case, 
you will find, Sharon, that that canopy you were hoping to screen your neighbors from, particularly in the summer, you'll be able to see through it. Be able to see through those uh, naked stems, no leaves on there. So I don't love to use cherries in our landscapes, but they can play a role. With that being said, I would like to give Sharon some uh, other other plants that would work. Now, of course, you can go into the maples, right? You can go into the um, uh, the, the sugar maples, which aren't ideal, but the red maples, if you will. There's an October Glory. Uh, there is uh, Autumn Blaze maple. Those are wonderful. You can go into oaks and whatnot, but maples and oaks are going to be larger trees. They're going to be true shade trees. They're not necessarily uh, great. I mean, they're ornamental in their own right, but they're not going to stay smaller. So if you're looking for a smaller tree like, yes, cherry trees, I would say those are medium size. Uh, let me give you a list here. You can use a maple, but maybe use a Japanese maple because many Japanese maple varieties can top out at 15, 18, maybe pushing the 25-foot height. And of course, if you want a uh, small canopy tree, it's going to have a very broad canopy, so you'll get good coverage as those stems rise above your fence. Those branches will just spread out across the top of there, giving you some good screening from your neighbors. Japanese maples are wonderful ornamentals. Their foliage is very, very nice. It's dainty. Uh, whether you get a green variety or a red leaf variety, regardless, you're going to find that Japanese maples have some great fall color, as do most maples. So some Japanese maples have great shades of yellow, great shades of orange, great shades of red, and all colors in between during the fall. So Japanese maple is definitely a smaller tree with a broad canopy uh, that can give you some height above a fence and screen from your neighbors. Now, let's talk about some maybe native selections. There are a, there's a great uh, native selection called a fringe tree. Now, a fringe tree, sometimes we call it Grancy Graybeard. If you've ever heard of Grancy Graybeard or fringe tree, it's essentially the same plant. Now, they are multi-stem, so they're going to have this very broad canopy as they send branches in all directions. And they're in that maybe up to 20, 25-foot range. Um, they have a, a larger leaf than, say, a maple or a cherry. Uh, so they're going to be able to definitely give you a good canopy, but it's not completely dense. It's not like a, a thick uh, canopy. So you've got some sparseness that can let some light in for plantings underneath, which I know you mentioned, Sharon. But the great thing about these um, about these fringe trees, Grancy Graybeard, is in the spring, they bloom these billows, smoky-like blossoms, very strap-like blossoms that are white, creamy white, ivory, and they look like a beard, like an old man's beard, a white beard hanging off in these just billows. Beautiful plant, the fringe tree, and it could do a great job for what you want. When we get back, I'll give Sharon some more ideas on some small trees to create some canopy and some privacy. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com. 
where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the new Southern Garden family and let's grow well. That is Eden Rose encouraging you to, let's see, what is she encouraging you to give a go this morning? To give a question, to send us here at New Southern Garden a question. If you've got something burning through your begonias or you've got something tickling your tiger lilies, (laughs) feel free to give it a go. Give us a question. Send us a question at NewSouthernGarden.com. Of course, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at New Southern Garden. And you can tag us in a picture, tag us in a photo. Sometimes in this business, we need more than just words. We need to see something. We need to figure out what's going on. So with that in mind, Eden Rose says, give sending us a question a go. And many of you have done that. And Sharon here in Cleveland, Georgia, she had sent us a question. Uh, She's asking for some, essentially some small trees that create a canopy high in the sky that can rise above a fence to help screen some neighbors. Um, It's not necessary that the tree be evergreen. Uh, However, definitely during the summer when we're when she's out and about in her landscape, she wants to make sure she has some protection from her neighbors. Before the break, we were talking about the fringe tree, which of course has great uh, beard-like blossoms. That's the only way to describe it. These flowers just spill out and hang over like a beard, white uh, ivory in the spring. They don't last for long, but the leaves linger all summer. And then in the fall time, you will have some nice yellow fall color on those kind of longer strap-like leaves. Now, of course, there's some other trees, Sharon, you might want to consider that you're probably already familiar with, dogwood and redbud. Dogwoods and redbuds would be a great plant to use in this situation because they are going to rise up in the air, definitely higher than your fence, and then spread out a canopy to screen you from your neighbors. But of course, dogwoods and redbuds, they bloom in the spring, and then they are fairly dense. They're fairly dense trees. And so you've got the heart-shaped leaf of the red bud. And with the red bud, uh, you can find some varieties that have purple leaves. So purple hearts, heart-shaped leaves. Uh, Green would be standard. Like most dogwoods, they have green leaves. So you're going to have that kind of of, uh, foliage coverage all summer. And then in the fall time, the red bud, if if it's a good year for fall color, uh, they'd be sort of in the yellow. So you've got another season of yellow fall color. Dogwoods can have some really nice fall color too, if of course, it's not been too hot and dry, so sometimes we don't get the best fall color on those plants. But regardless, they will be green all summer long. Now, I'm going to give you my last plant, Sharon, that I would encourage you to plant. This would be probably my top choice, though. I saved the best for last, in my opinion, uh, and that is serviceberry. Now, I've talked about serviceberry here on New Southern Garden many times before. And serviceberry is just one of those great plants that is a wonderful replacement for, say, ornamental cherries. Serviceberry is a native plant. Those ornamental cherries, of course, are from other parts of the world, particularly Asia, China, Japan. And they like our climate, but like I've already mentioned, they have that problem of being induced into dormancy by stressful conditions, which we usually have stressful conditions in the summer. 
But serviceberry is a native here to the southeast, like maybe you and me, Sharon. Uh, we grew up here, so so did serviceberry. And the serviceberries are a good replacement for, say, those ornamental cherries because they're a small tree. They do bloom in the spring. They're one of the first blossoms to come out, like an ornamental cherry. Now, they may not be as showy, okay? The, the blossoms aren't like a big, double, blousy flower like a Kwanzaa cherry tree. But still, these service berries, they, they bloom almost like a dainty apple tree. But they bloom f- before they put leaves out. So that's another wonderful aspect is that you've got these uh, apple-like blossoms on a naked tree. <laughs> then once the blossoms start falling, the blue-green leaves come out. And those blue-green leaves last all summer until, of course, we get uh, to the fall. And that's when service berry shines brightly once again. That shine brightly with those bright flowers, white flowers in the spring. It shines in the fall with shades of yellow, red, orange, green, fall color all modeled together on individual leaves. It's a wonderful plant. Then, of course, the leaves fall, but you do have a wonderful architecture because most of the service berries tend to be multi-stem. And with that multi-stem effect, they can really branch out, which I think is why I would love for you to plant this one, Sharon. I would highly recommend it because if you want a broad canopy, but not a very large tree, this service berry, like some of the other selections, will be in that 20, 25-foot range. And it is a wonderful plant if you just, other than Sharon, you know, if you just want one plant, folks, if you just want one plant in your landscape, service berry is a wonderful uh, native and also uh, ornamental tree. It does produce berries. That's how it gets its name. It does produce berries. They don't Last very long on the tree because birds love them. So if you're looking to feed wildlife, service berry would be a great plant to have just for that aspect alone. Well, Sharon, thank you for your question. Thank you for listening to New Southern Garden. And we're glad to be here in your hometown uh, in Cleveland, Georgia. Well, let's go just north of Atlanta. Rachel has a question. She is the one who I said uh, listened to our show last week. She uh, liked the discussion on creating a cottage garden from last week. She says that uh, you did give good tips to get the cottage look, but you didn't talk about many plants to use. What are some essential plants for cottage gardening? Well, I am glad, Rachel, that you caught on to that. I did not spend last week talking a lot about specific plants. Because the idea here is that if you're going for a cottage garden style, cottage garden look, it's not necessarily about those individual plants you use, but how you use them together and where you place them. And those, that's what we focused on was more the design. But at some point, Rachel, we do need to talk about specific plants. And I'm glad we're going to take a few minutes here to talk about some plants that you can use to create that cottage garden style and feel. First of all, we've got to talk about a couple of plants that are extremely, extremely traditional, and they just, that these plants alone, these plants alone, they almost say cottage garden. Even without being in a cottage garden, they almost look like they should be no matter where they're placed. The first one, of course, is foxglove. Foxglove is that wonderful, strange plant. Uh, It does come from England. It's sort of just a wild weed in England, a wild plant. Um, But of course, it's been pulled out of the woods. It's been cultivated. There's so many different varieties and whatnot. We actually call this a biennial. Uh, It... 
We can call it perennial because it lasts for more than one season, but it usually takes two years from growing it from a seed in order for it to bloom. And that is one of the beauties of foxgloves. You know, we talked last week about cottage gardening uh, is where we allow plants to grow through other plants, to let plants create sort of this almost jungle, you know. And the foxglove so readily uh, grows from a seed that you can plant a stand of foxgloves in your cottage garden And over the course of a few years, you'll start to see them popping up here and there because they're going to reseed themselves. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. If, of course, you don't want foxgloves taking over, you do have to manage and control, right? You've got to pull some out, strategically plant some in certain areas and transplant some. Uh, Like I said, remove some where they don't need to be growing. But regardless, it is one of those true cottage garden plants that we would ideally want because we plant it once and it sort of creates its own community. It sort of takes its own life, you know, just travels. And so foxglove, of course, is those, has those tall spikes of flowers uh, with bell-shaped like blossoms that hang down towards the ground and they, they're loved by all the pollinators. They have these very deep flowers, those bell-shaped flowers, and of course the bumblebees, our native bumblebees, uh, honeybees will probably flock to them, but the, I always see the, the bumblebees going after them because they love, bumblebees love to get in deep places like those big bell-shaped flowers. So the foxglove is that quintessential plant, really. It's that quintessential plant. It is that plant that just screams and uh, just says, this is, this is a cottage garden. Well, there's another plant that is quintessential with cottage gardening that I've got to talk about. And then I've got a couple more for you, Rachel. So hang on tight through this quick break. And we're going to talk about plants, more plants that give you that cottage garden look, cottage garden feel. And of course, plants uh, that will fit in a cottage garden and won't stand out like a sore thumb. So hang on tight. We'll be right back. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, welcome for the second half of New Southern Garden. We're glad that you're uh, hanging on through the breaks with us because we are answering your questions today. You, We've got a lot of questions. I hope I can get to them all. Uh, before the break, we were talking about great trees. Okay, let me see if I can explain this quickly. Great trees that are small trees. They create a small tree canopy. They can rise above a privacy fence to add on extra screening, if you will. The situation we had uh, with the question was an individual had planted or planted, (laughs) had built a screen fence, a a, a, a privacy fence, but the neighbor's house was taller than they expected. It was on a higher elevation. They could still see their neighbor's backyard and people were looking over the fence. Just a creepy situation. So, of course, uh, we were giving some ideas for plants to use to extend that screen 
to extend that privacy fence, if you will, with plants, with trees. Then, uh, before the break, we were talking with Rachel, who has wants some clarification, we'll say, from last week's program. We talked about uh, elements of a cottage garden, and if you're creating a cottage garden, what are some things you want to do and look for? But we didn't talk specifically about plants that fit in a cottage garden. So Rachel, she asked if we could talk about some plants that are wonderful for that cottage garden feel. And that's where I want to pick up. Because before the break, we talked about foxglove. Foxglove is one of those quintessential cottage garden plants. If you look at the cottage gardens of old, of yesteryear, uh, you have some photographs. Maybe they're black and white photographs from nearly 100 years ago or more. A cottage garden, you will surely find foxglove. And like I said um, last week, we talked that the cottage garden is a very English style of gardening. Uh, they sort of came up with it. We talked about a couple of individuals, William, William Robinson and Gertrude Jekyll, who sort of promoted this almost wild gardening. And that's what William Robinson called it. And so, of course, since foxglove is a native wild plant in England, uh, of course it would be used in a wild planting like a cottage garden. Now, the next plant, Rachel, that you've got to pretty much have if you have a cottage garden is going to be roses. Roses. Roses of all kinds. Um, of course, there are those roses we call English roses, right? The English roses, which are usually very large flowers, chock full of petals, triple, double, quadruple the number of more of uh, petals that, that they normally have because standard roses, folks, only have five petals. So when we look at some of these English roses, hybrid tea roses, floribunda roses, grandiflora, is that it? I can't remember if that's a type of rose. Well, anyhow, there's so many different kinds of roses you can use. Shrub roses, climbing roses, rambling roses, and they all pretty much fit into this cottage garden feel. So, Rachel, if you want to use a plant that says cottage garden, uh, foxglove and roses of really any kind. Now, when you choose roses for a cottage garden, remember that scents matter. We, I think, I hope we talked about that last week. I know it's in my notes that uh, scented plants are a wonderful thing to use, wonderful thing to use in the cottage garden. So roses with scents are uh, smells, if you will, uh, fragrance, I guess that's the word I'm looking for, are going to be critical for that cottage garden feel. Now, there are some other types of plants you can use, Rachel, that we, I'd like to talk a little more about. I, I know I mentioned last week that we want to use reseeding annuals and biennials. And we've already talked about one of those. That's the foxglove. Foxglove is a biennial. Uh, it grows just leaves. The first year it's planted from seed, and then the second year uh, it makes it through the winter. The second year it will flower. So that's what a biennial is. It takes two years for the plant to flower. And there are several plants like that. There is a plant called Dame's Rocket. Dame's Rocket is sort of naturalized. It's not a native plant to the uh, southeast by any means, but it does come from Europe, and it's sort of naturalized. It does reseed pretty heavily. So once you get these plants going in your garden, you will find that they pop up year after year. And they are actually, well, they're... Uh, their genus name, their botanical name is Hesperus, and they are related to uh, things like broccoli, um, kale, 
cabbage. They're in that brassica family. And so they've got a kind of simple flower, uh, but it's usually a pink. Sometimes you have a white and shades in between pink and white, maybe reds, but uh, usually it's a magenta, if anything. And they do bloom really early in the, the spring, uh, so they don't hang around as far as re-blooming or anything. But a lot of times, the cottage gardens, particularly the traditional cottage gardens, were very, uh, were very spring-focused. So a lot of spring plants. Besides, in the summer, do we really want to be in the heat? Do we want to spend a lot of time in the heat? So Dame's Rocket is a cool plant to use that reseeds, and you may have to control it by plucking out seedlings that you don't want. Then there is a plant that is really an annual. Uh, it might reseed, but usually you have to start them yourself, and that's Nicotiana. Nicotiana, of course, is a type of tobacco plant. It's in the tobacco family, uh, but it's got a. It's definitely a summer bloomer, and it blooms pretty much all summer when you deadhead. Uh, it's got a beautiful star-shaped flower. They come in a variety of shades and colors, yellows, pinks, whites. But the beauty of Nicotiana is that they're very fragrant. In maybe the later afternoon, 4 or 5 o'clock, when you get home from work, you're going to find that your Nicotiana is sending out these fragrance. And again, finding those fragrant plants is going to be essential, essential for creating a cottage-style uh, cottage garden. Now, the last group of plants I want to throw out there, Rachel, to you, is maybe you want to put a modern spin. Maybe you want to put a modern spin. We did talk about modern cottage gardening, sort of a naturalistic planting garden. Um, Still gives you that cottage look, but there are some, some plants that we're using more in the modern day that I think can be wonderful plants to use in a cottage garden, a modern cottage garden, let me clarify, and that is ornamental grasses. Ornamental grasses are wonderful plants, and they are that wild look. Remember, a cottage garden is organized chaos. A cottage garden is trying to mimic nature, and so wild, not wild, but ornamental grasses uh, mixing in with other plants Uh, that are blooming are wonderful. They add a great textural component. They usually, most grasses, have very fine textured leaves, and it will contrast well with texture of those, those coarser textured plants. So ornamental grasses, some of the native ones that I think are wonderful, uh, how about uh, prairie blues, little blue stem. It's a wonderful shade of blue-green all summer, and then in the fall, it really puts off a wonderful color, Well, as well as blaze little blue stem. Blaze little blue stem and uh, prairie blues, little blue stem, are both great fall color. So we've got to think about maybe how do we get fall color? Grasses are a way to do that. On the larger side of grasses, uh, Virginia switchgrass. There are several varieties of Virginia switchgrass, like Shenandoah um, and, and Prairie Sky. Prairie Sky. We've got all of those, actually, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, where you can find me throughout the week in Flowery Branch, Georgia. But regardless, some of these native grasses, they're wonderful for pollinators, and many pollinators use grasses as host plants. So be sure, uh, Rachel, to think about using some ornamental grasses to give you sort of a modern spin on a traditional style of gardening. Of course, that is the cottage garden. I'm going to let Eden Rose encourage you uh, to give it a go. To give it a go. Where's my Eden Rose button? You got to give it a go. Give it a go. (laughs) Give it a go, Rachel. So, uh, thank you for your question, Rachel. Now, let's move on to East Tennessee. Bobby from East Tennessee, it's a long ways away, is listening to New Southern Garden via 
the Spotify app. And I don't talk about Spotify much, but Spotify, of course, is a place where you can find music and podcasts and all kind of things that you listen to. And, uh, of course, New Southern Garden is on the Spotify app. So thank you, Bobby, for listening to us uh, in East Tennessee on Spotify. Uh, Bobby says, is it okay to top dress some compost onto my lawn now? Quick and short to the point, uh, uh, wish you would have expo- expounded just a little bit maybe, Bobby, so I knew what you were trying to do, but top dressing a lawn um, is essentially where we are spreading some kind of organic matter across the top of the earth. We're not tilling this organic matter into the earth. We're not turning it over into the soil. We're not amending the soil uh, by mixing we're not incorporating. We are literally just dressing the top of the earth sort of like mulching in a way. And top dressing lawns is a wonderful thing to do because organic matter, increasing the amount of organic matter in your soil that your lawn is growing in is going to help your lawn use less water. Wonderful for us here in the South, isn't it? If we could have less water on our lawns, we could save on our water bill. And unless you're on a well, then it's your electric bill because you're pumping the water out of the ground. But regardless, uh, that will increase organic matter. Top dressing will help to increase um, water uptake by a plant. Then, of course, it will help to increase nutrition. Uh, fertilizer essentially top dressing will encourage uh, breaking down of this compost whether you're using uh, manure cow horse cattle manure uh, chicken manure maybe you are using uh, wood chips sort of like high composted wood chips that would be good too kind of like woods dirt I guess Uh, no matter what kind of organic matter you use that is going to help break down uh, nutrients it's going to increase the amount of nutrients, rather, that your plants have access to. So you'll need less fertilizer. And folks, I will tell you, because most of our fertilizers are dependent on fossil fuels and gas, diesel has been so high, petroleum has been so high, fertilizer has gone skyrocket as well. I don't know if you've noticed it. Uh, if you're just buying a couple of pounds of fertilizer, uh, it may not be that obvious. But of course, at the nursery, we are buying bags and bags of 50 pounds of fertilizer, and it has over doubled. It has over doubled just the cost of it. So it's been tough. Using less fertilizer, using less water on a lawn is a wonderful thing to do. So, Bobby. I will answer your question. Is it okay to top dress some compost onto your lawn now? Yes, absolutely. It is appropriate. There may be better times of year to do it, uh, but it is definitely appropriate to top dress a lawn while it is actively growing or maybe right before it starts growing. That would be late winter all the way through summer um, and into the early part of fall. However, I don't necessarily love to top dress over the winter months when the grass may be dormant. So if you have a Bermuda lawn or a Zoysia lawn, if it's not actively growing, I would wait until uh, they start greening up and turning green, growing in the spring. But if you, you didn't tell me your lawn type, Bobby, but if you have a winter lawn like fescue, or maybe in East Tennessee, you may actually be using bluegrass. We don't use the bluegrass down here, but Kentucky bluegrass, you may be using that. And regardless, I would do that in the winter time when those grasses are actually looking and growing their best. So 
the process, Bobby, you didn't ask about process, but the process would be to spread your top dress about one inch thick. You want to make sure that you're not covering the top of your plant, completely covering uh, the lawn up. What you would rather be doing is uh, getting that top dress to the soil and allow the grass leaves and stems to poke up through the top. That way you're not smothering your lawn. You want to be sure that you are allowing those green leaves to still be exposed to sunlight. So one inch thick, that's going to help increase your organic matter, increase the nutrients, increase moisture holding capacity, and of course increase microbiology like bacteria and fungus who are going to break down those uh, that compost into more simple components that your plant can use. When we get back from this break, folks, more questions here on New Southern Garden. It's the same old situation. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, we're going to give gardening a go this morning. We're going to give give answering your questions a go because this is our Q&A week today. We've just got a few moments left, but we've got a lot of answers to give. So before the break, we were actually uh, answering Bobby's question from East Tennessee. He's listening to New Southern Garden uh, online on the Spotify app, and we are very appreciative for folks who are listening uh, from all over. Whether you're right here uh, in our hometown in Cleveland, Georgia, or whether you're in your hometown somewhere else in the South, uh, we are here to help inspire you to garden you things and answer your questions and whatnot. So uh, Bobby was asking a question, though, about top dressing uh, his lawn with some compost, and I love the fact of top dressing any kind of planting, whether it's shrubs or trees. Now, you can do that and achieve that by um, uh, mulch, right, around shrubs, around trees. You can use compost around shrubs and trees, no problem. And your compost can be a mulch. Uh, But the idea is that whether you're top dressing, uh, laying organic matter out on the earth uh, in sheet form, right, laying it out like a blanket across your planting space on a lawn or ornamental beds, vegetable beds, wherever, the idea is that that organic matter is breaking down And it is actually feeding not just your plant, but it is feeding the microbiology, that those fungus, those bacteria, the good bacteria, the good fungus that work on the compost, consume the compost and break it down into things that your plants can use. It's a big cycle. It's a nutrient cycle. And of course, those micro 
that microbiology, those microorganisms are super important. So be sure that you are composting, you're mulching, you're top dressing, whatever you want to call it, on anything you're growing. It's a wonderful thing to do. As a matter of fact, you know, all those leaves that fall throughout summer, but particularly in the autumn, when we rake up our leaves, we ought to not just bag them and ship them off or throw them out with the trash. We ought to pile them up, let them compost, or throw them around trees, spread them around shrubs, let them break down and help feed our soils. Because our soils here in the south, particularly in the Piedmont, where our clay soils have been eroded by years and years of poor practices with cotton production in particular, but other uh, bad organic, uh, bad, sorry, bad uh, agricultural practices, that bless their hearts, generations before us didn't know about, but all that erosion that's happened over hundreds of years has taken away our organic matter, and you can increase that by putting that organic matter back on the earth, back into the soil. Our last question of the day, we are traveling to, uh, well, sort of my hometown, where, of course, you can find me throughout the week, Flowery Branch, Georgia, Flowery Branch, Georgia, Michelle. Michelle says that we would like to dress up our planting beds around our pool. Recently, we took a trip to Tampa Bay area and inspired us towards a tropical look. Can I get that look here in North Georgia? Michelle, thank you for your question. Absolutely. You can get that tropical look around a pool, and that's usually where a lot of folks want to use tropical-looking plants. Now, let's just define a tropical plant really quickly. A tropical plant is something essentially that loves, uh, comes from the tropics, comes from that part of the world closer to the equator than we are. They usually grow up in a place where the temperature doesn't fluctuate much all year. It's always very warm. Now, of course, where we are, uh, north, so far north of the equator, we have a temperate climate. So we have uh, generally warm summers. <laughs> this summer it feels hot. Uh, and then, of course, in the winter, we have a true winter. It gets cold. So we have the seasonal change. So many of the tropical plants are not going to grow here all year long outdoors. We've got to bring them in, protect them, put them in a greenhouse, put them in a crawl space, put them in a sunroom, put them in a garage over the winter. But let me give you some tips on creating that tropical look with plants that can survive our winters. That way you're not having to replant your pool planting beds year after year. First, uh, three things you want to think about, Michelle, is you want to use plants so that their foliage is contrasted. What I mean is you want to use plants with really big leaves. I'm going to give you some examples in a minute. And then you want to use some plants with really tiny leaves. So big leaves and little tiny leaves. You put those side by side and you start to get that tropical look. The next thing you want to do is to use plants with large blossoms. Not everything has to have large blossoms, but you need at least one, maybe a handful of plants that have large blossoms. Big, showy blossoms. I'm going to give you an example, a few examples, a little later. Then, of course, number three, you want to use, when it comes to color, use hot colors. Doesn't mean every plant or every flower you use is a hot color. Hot colors are those reds, yellows, and oranges. Reds, yellows, and oranges are wonderful to give you that tropical feel. It could be red, yellow, orange leaves. It could be red, yellow uh, orange flowers. we got to use some of those colors. Yes, you can use blues and purples to contrast, but we've got to use some of those hot colors around a pool because it's going to give us, uh, it's going to psychologically, hot colors make people 
perky and happy. Cool colors sort of put us to sleep. So if we're going to be around a pool, a place where recreation's happening, we've got to have those hot colors. So to summarize, look for plants to contrast color, contrast foliage, so big leaves and little leaves. Look for plants that have large, oversized blossoms. (laughs) And then lastly, look for plants with hot colors, whether it's in the leaves or in the flower, uh, leaves or in the flower petals. Now, here are some specific examples, Michelle, of some plants you may use to get that tropical look around a swimming pool here in North Georgia. All of these plants, for the most part, we're going to talk about a few annual plants, but most all of these you can plant one year and they will continue to come back year after year for many years, if not decades. First of all, hardy hibiscus. Remember I was talking about plants with big blossoms? Hardy hibiscus has very large blossoms and hardy means that it comes back year after year. Hardy hibiscus, there are several we've talked about on this program from Proven Winners. Uh, They've got great shades of a purple foliage, but also uh, reds, pinks, whites, uh, all colors of flowers. And they're about the size of a dinner plate with their blossom. Then you would use some plants with big leaves, like banana plants or windmill palm. Windmill palm has very large leaves. It looks great around a pool. But hardy banana has big leaves as well. They die to the ground. They come back every year. Canna lilies. Canna lilies have both large flowers and also large leaves. So I'd be sure to use that. Check out one we carry at the nursery called Bengal Tiger, which has yellow stripes in the leaves. So even when it's not blooming, the foliage is gorgeous, and Bengal tiger really stands out. Now, don't forget about things with small foliage, like grasses, ornamental grasses, like we've talked about today, uh, about cottage gardens. can use some of those, but also we've got some chasmanthium. Chasmanthium is a fancy botanical word for sea oats or river oats. That is perfect because those oats grow on the sand dunes along Florida's coast, and river oats Uh, Same thing as sea oats is a native plant. Gara is a wonderful perennial that gives you that fine texture. Mexican tuberose is a brilliant white, and it blooms in the summer when you'll be at the pool, and it's super fragrant. And don't forget about annuals like New Guinea impatiens. New Guinea impatiens are good to pop in here and there. They give you big leaves, big flowers, and they're just outstanding. Verbena, lantana are some more perennials you might try to use in your tropical-ish gardens. None of these plants are tropical plants. They all are hardy, Michelle, so you can plant them one year and most of them, unless they are annuals like we talked about a few, they will come back year after year. Well, gang, thanks for your questions here on Q&A week here on New Southern Garden. For WRWH, I'm Nathan Wilson, hoping you stay well and grow well. See you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. 